Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Elliot. Doing fine. How's it going for you this week? Pretty well. Short week because of the holiday, and we're having gorgeous, very late spring, early summer weather here in Milwaukee. That's a nice thing. It was in the low 70s yesterday, upper 70s today, and I think we're going to be right at 80 the rest of the week with a little bit of pop-up thunderstorms, but we haven't had rain for a couple of weeks, so that wouldn't be all bad as long as it's not severe. That's good. I'm going to be out in Milwaukee next week. Looking forward to that. This will be a first that I won't be jogging when it's 20 below zero. (laughs) (laughs) And you can pack a lot lighter. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, a couple of things before we talk about our topic. We had the opportunity to interview Don Ford from our advisory board, the former IRS CI chief, a couple of weeks ago. And we've sent that information out on the various social platforms. Don's key points, because he testified before the Senate a couple of weeks ago, was about the importance of the IRS getting the funding that they needed for data analytics, response time to customers, and also, of course, enforcement of the tax laws, which unfortunately, many, a lot that are wealthy, try to avoid. This week, as we're talking, it's the middle of the week. So by the end of the week, there'll be some resolution. The, I would argue, the manufactured debt ceiling debate continues. But one of the things that's semi-positive is that the proposal that's being worked this week would cut some IRS funding, but not as drastically as people had feared. So I think the key is, and there's been some stories about this in, in the in Washington Post and some other places, the importance here of recognizing that the IRS produces revenue and saves us revenue for taxpayers. And the fact that they're not going to get too much of a draconian cut is a good thing for law enforcement and our partners in IRSCI. But I mentioned that because obviously we've talked a bit about this and Don was, as he always is, very comprehensive in his comments before the Senate and shared those with us. I just wanted to highlight that as well. Yes. And just for clarity, the reduction in funding is the reduction in the additional funding that was in the comprehensive funding bill that passed some months ago. It's not a cutback in existing budget from the budget process, but the additional funding. that they need. We've also talked a bit throughout our webinars and podcasts with representatives and topics from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, ICIJ, who do extensive work in what it sounds like, investigative issues, and they do have parts of their staff or their board members are involved in financial crime issues. And the thing that struck both of us is something to take a couple of minutes to talk about is a recent, recent study and story about Panama and the Panama Papers. The headline is, and I'll let you go into detail here, seven years after the Panama Papers, that country sees a dramatic decrease in corporate registration. So this was a story that was in, as I understand it, in one of the Bloomberg versions. And one of the ICIJ members did the report, but it's an analysis of the impact in Panama Obviously, as we say, seven years after the investigations that showed all of the issues related to shell companies and breastplate banks and that sort of thing. 
The top numbers are that in the 10 years from 2012 to 2022, there was a 63% decrease in registrations. Now, the Panama Papers were 2016 in the middle of that, and that they've had additional reductions in the past couple years. There was also recognition that there are other jurisdictions, and you and I live in one of them, that actually are rated as having serious transparency issues as it relates to this kind of thing. They cite the Financial Secrecy Index, something you and I have talked about in the past, as showing the U.S. as top of the rankings of the most complicit in helping people hide their finances. And you and I have talked a lot about the need for global ownership transparency generally. Coming back to Panama one more time, the other thing that's interesting is this issue of transparency in Panama was a significant piece of their most recent review by FATF. And at the upcoming plenary later in June, they will be one of the countries whose progress report should be up for discussion. Two things. The report looked at Delaware and the British Virgin Islands. And BI actually had a decrease in company registrations also over the last decade. But in Delaware, 62,000 new ones in 2021. And so one has to wonder, besides being number one in the Financial Secrecy Index, which is a bad thing, is it because we are still awaiting the beneficial ownership registry and the debate about access and all those things that could make it clearly more difficult to create LLCs and other entities, which are legal, but in some cases, as we know, get used for the movement of illicit funds. So that was interesting. And then just one other thing that sort of made me laugh, the Panama Bar Association president said the change happened because of the reputation hit they took with the investigation, (laughs) not because of the fact that there were issues there. So he claims, I think that's in my humble opinion, probably not what happened. But as you mentioned, FATF is reviewing what Panama is doing. There's a perfect example, by the way, of the strength of in terms of the evaluations and the grades that it gives and the impact that it has economically and reputationally if jurisdictions don't make improvements. Yes. There are a handful of jurisdictions around the world who, you know, opted out of the FATF process, North Korea being probably the poster country for that. But most countries really do care. And I think Panama trying to have an effective economy where I think corporate activity was a significant piece of it, really do care that they don't end up on the on the blacklist, which I don't know that they're at risk of that, but right. certainly wanting to show improvement and do the right thing. Coming back to the Bar Association president's comment, and when we've spoken with the ICIJ folks, they've talked about the importance of local reporting and the pressure that it can bring on government officials and even government policy. I think this is another example. The publication of the Panama Papers seven years ago, I think, shined a light on things that people like you and I who've been in the business a long time were aware was going on and aware was going on not only in Panama but in other places too. But it made it clear even to the average reader that this wasn't just a passing problem. This was an 
engineered mechanism to intentionally hide assets and provide money launders with the platform. But one of the side effects was that it provided money launderers with a perfect platform to do their activities. Yeah, I would just tell folks, ICIJ's website and their stories are extremely valuable. They cover a whole host of issues besides the offshore banking issues, human trafficking. They look at corruption issues, of course, issues related to the abuse of antiquities and art. So there's a lot of good things there. They do accept donations, but the website's free to go on and look at the storylines. And I would say as AML professionals, it should be another one in your list of websites that you look at on a frequent basis. Agreed. And like many of those websites, you can, if you choose, sign up for notifications when they publish something new, you can get the latest information. I think it's something you've mentioned repeatedly over the years, and particularly as we've been doing this podcast, there are tremendous free resources from many organizations. And it is, in addition to all the other ways that we try to keep current in the financial crime prevention space, these types of websites should be a critical part of everybody's knowledge base. I agree. As we close down for this week, I wanted to mention that we have posted the interview that I was able to do with John Fishman from the Treasury Department on the de-risking strategy. We had a really robust dialogue and discussion with John about some of the choices that the Treasury and all the other agencies that were part of putting together the report made in terms of priorities, recommendations, and focus. And I think you'll find it valuable. That's an issue is going to continue to challenge us. Hopefully you also have read the report as we talked about a few weeks ago, but I think getting John's view on it was is helpful to keeping that dialogue going. On June 22nd will be our next AML Voices webinar. It's about models, identifying them and validating them, something that continues to be an ongoing activity for financial services companies in the US and many other jurisdictions and a good practice to really understand what all these tools that we use really are doing and whether they're doing what we think they are. I agree. So good stuff, folks. Continue to stay as current as possible. Elliot, you have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, and I will see you next week when you're here in Milwaukee. Sounds great. Take care. Yes, bye-bye.